Welcome to the Elk Talk Podcast with Randy Newberg and Corey Jacobson. Presented by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. The goal is what little you and I know about elk hunting, we share with people. I've got an elk building, it's like 120 yards away, what do I do? First off, the thought would never cross my mind when an elk being 120 yards away to call anybody <laughs> on a cell phone. <laughs> All elk. All the time. Only elk. Only elk. Well, it's us having conversations. So we usually go down some rabbit holes. But if you hunt with Corey Jacobson, you will find the landscape is full of rabbit holes. We're just going to make this up as we go. And you look at it like, oh, that's a target-rich environment. But if you're trying to single one out, a solo target there is much easier to go into than a, a big group. We record everything, so there's no BS and no lying, no faking it with us. <laughs> Did we hit the record I button? I forgot to hit the record <laughs> button. If you want to know something about elk hunting, this probably isn't the podcast to listen to. <laughs> Should we give them a list of all the other podcasts wow. where they might learn something? <laughs> The Elk Talk Podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org. The Elk Talk Podcast is also brought to you by Mountain Ops, making outdoor energy and performance nutrition to make you a stronger and healthier elk hunter. They have a full line of hunting-related supplements, including meal replacement shakes, multivitamins, pre-workout fuel, and post-workout recovery, and my favorite, their new performance protein bars that, by the way, are packed with 270 calories and 20 grams of protein, but contain less than 6 grams of sugar. Visit mountainops.com to learn more and to order, and be sure to use the promo code ELKTALK to save on your next order. The podcast is also brought to you by Gerber. Uh, go to gerbergear.com and learn about the knives, the vital, the big game vital, the Gator Premium, all the things that we use when we're out in the woods, and not just knives, but also some really cool multi-tools that they have. And we have a promo code for Gerber as well. Just use the code ELKTALK to save 20% on your orders at gerbergear.com. And we are also brought to you by Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls. And Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls is the original designer and inventor of the pallet plate diaphragm that's completely changed the way elk calls are made and used. And to find out more and to order your elk calls, go to RockyMountainHuntingCalls.com or BuglingBull.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 15% on all of your elk calls and elk call accessories. The Elk Talk Podcast is also brought to you by GoHunt.com. Uh, go to GoHunt.com and sign up for the Insider. The Insider is changing how hunts and hunting information are found. No doubt about that. Use promo code ELKTALK, and when you do, when you sign up for the Insider, you're going to get $50 of store credit, mad money, in their gear shop. Lastly, the University of Elk Hunting online course is a proud partner of the Elk Talk podcast. And within the University of Elk Hunting online course, you're going to find nearly 60 chapters organized in 17 modules of elk hunting instruction aimed at making you a more successful elk hunter. From planning and e-scouting to calling strategies and packing 
every imaginable elk hunting topic is included in the online course. And regardless of your previous elk hunting experience or success, I'm confident the University of Elk Hunting online course will make you a more confident, more successful elk hunter. Just visit elk101.com and use the promo code ELKTALK to save 20% when you sign up for a membership to the University of Elk Hunting online course. And with that, Corey, we are ready to get into it. Let's jump into it. Morning, Corey. Morning, Randy. How are you? Well, my fingers are still cold from walking in from my truck into the office here, but really, not when, you turn, when you turned on the microphone, I thought you were calling me from a construction demolition joint or something. <laughs> there. You sure you're not down at the auto body shop where they're cutting fenders off or something? <laughs> it's funny you say that. There's a 1949 Ford truck sitting out in the uh, in the bay here of my office. And Tyler brought his boys in. They don't have school today, and they're, I don't know, they're seven and nine, something like that. And they're Uh-oh. starting a YouTube channel, and I hear them out there banging. So I'm hoping they aren't remodeling an old, <laughs> an old 1949 truck right now. But uh, Well, if people hear some smashing and banging in the back of your audio, now we've given a full disclaimer that ignore it. That's right. So. <laughs> well, no, it I'm was a- uh, it was minus nine degrees this morning driving in. What? Yeah, it's cold. It's not that cold here. It's no. like fifteen degrees, maybe somewhere in that yeah. ballpark here this morning. Snow yeah. would start melting if it got that warm here. You guys have any snow? We don't have any snow to speak of. I got an inch and a half in my yard. Yeah, we've got probably a foot at the house, which is kind of misleading because we go just a couple miles from the house wolf hunting, and there's three and a half feet. Wow. So, And it's not really any higher elevation. It's just in a little hidden canyon. And yeah, I got stuck so many times on the snowmobile last week that my back still hurts. Really? See, I don't own a snowmobile. I'm not a good enough mechanic to own a snowmobile. I, I've yet to see anyone go more than 30 miles on a snowmobile that didn't require mechanical what? attention. Yeah. I've had I've had a snowmobile for five years now, and I've done nothing other than winterize it, summerize it every summer. Well, if you leave it on the trailer, you don't got to do much with it. <laughs> <laughs> that's just, wash, my... just wash the road slime off at it. That's right. Time. No, it's my it's my wolf hunting machine. Really? Yeah, we're putting 45 miles a day on them wolf hunting. You know what? You just jinxed yourself. Next time we're going to do a podcast, I'm going to get a text from me. Hey, I'm going to be late for the podcast because my snowmobile broke down. I know. That's why I never go by myself. (laughs) That's that's a recipe for problems. Snowmobiling, they should have to sell snowmobiles in at least two at a time. (laughs) A two-pack. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I'm just saying that from experience, you know, and when you grow up in Minnesota, everyone had a snowmobile and my expertise when it comes to two cycle engines and belts and tracks came from trying to ride snowmobiles. In <laughs> but, but see, snowmobiles in a logging community are, are a different brand of snowmobiles. True. Yeah. I mean, that that is true. I mean, if you're a logger, like our families were, you're expected to be more of a mechanic than you are. A, you know, you got to fix your chainsaw. You got to fix the skitter. You got to fix the loader, the, the log truck. 
you know, and if you're like my dad, he had a 1969 GMC that if you're going hunting at six in the morning, he had to get up at four to get it started. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) You get it started and come back in and sleep for a couple hours. Well, we got the old old blue goose running out there. (laughs) Oh, well, let's not, let's talk about Arizona. Yeah. Speaking of minus nine degrees. Yeah, the Arizona draw odd, or draw uh, for elk and antelope is coming up on the 9th of February. You doing anything that day? I'm going to look and see if it's on the like 9th a, of February. I shouldn't be. Is it a, some sort of holiday? No, it's a Tuesday. Mm. You know, fun. on one of the one of the websites somebody i saw had february 19th as the date Ooh, and i'm thinking leave that out there yeah you know let, let some people look at that and they'll show up on february 19th and it'll say the draw for elk and antelope is closed yep there so, was uh, that brings up a, a memory i have of a few years ago when one of the larger draw application services missed the deadline in arizona Mm-hmm. And uh, there were tens of thousands of applications that didn't get turned in because they had the wrong date. And I happened to draw a tag that year. Yeah. And those people, not only did they not get a bonus point that year, but they lost their loyalty point. Yep. <laughs> Something we'll get into when we talk about the Arizona draw. Uh, I was doing the math this morning while drinking coffee and eating a pumpkin cookie. If you come to Bozeman, go to the Daily Coffee Bar on North Rouse. Every morning they have fresh frosted pumpkin cookies. Hmm. Oh, man. You, you, you can't eat just one. So if I if I put on a little weight this winter, it's because of that second pumpkin cookie every morning. <laughs> but as I was eating my pumpkin cookie, I was counting how many times I've hunted elk, either myself or with somebody, help someone. I've been on eight elk hunts in Arizona. Wow. Yeah. They've all been a ton of fun. Uh, four of them were my tag, and I've lucked out, and I shot two bulls. I should have shot four. Uh, on those four tags but i i can legitimately blame the camera guy for one of them (laughs) legitimate or not they're no they're getting blamed yeah he almost got fired there was a whole lot of he had a really long face he didn't say anything for about two days because we made the he made the big mistake usually it's me who makes this mistake but you never have the camera and the shooter in rifle season, anyhow, anywhere other than one behind the other, because you don't know who's going to see what. Well, there's three bulls across the, the canyon, and I'm laid down on a flat rock, and the nicest one, you know, he's a high 200-inch six-point, is standing there. And uh, the camera guy decides to go on a rock over about, I don't know, 30 yards to my right, and so his filming angle, he can't see the bull I'm on. He's like, oh, that's just a raghorn. You sure you want to shoot it? I'm like, this one over here. And he's like, oh, I got to come over there. And by the time he got over there, the bull was walking away. He felt terrible. <laughs> because we both have done this long enough that we know that's like violation of rule number one. So yeah, he's a great guy. He bailed me out of all kinds of things along the way in, in other filming. He, he was when I used a a contract company to produce our content. So, uh, 
I'll blame it on him anyhow. Right? Yeah, for sure. The other one was my fault. Um, there's a really nice bull, isn't it, right on the New Mexico-Arizona border? And I thought I knew a shortcut of how to intercept this really nice bull. Well, you know how shortcuts work out? <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> By the time we emerged from my quote-unquote shortcut, the bull is hopping the fence, jumps into Mex- New Mexico, and some guys dumped him. Wow. And they backed right up to him, threw him in the truck, and they were in town drinking beer, telling big stories about an hour later. <laughs> uh, this was with the same camera guy. And to his credit, he didn't say to me, nice shortcut, Randy. <laughs> <laughs> he should have. But I don't know. I, I had a shot at about 450 yards, but the bull was moving, and I'm just not that talented. So Yeah. But anyhow, I've, I've enjoyed Arizona. It's and the reason I've had so many tags or been a part of so many tags is I apply for the easiest to draw tags there. Whereas you, you apply for the archery tags, don't you? I do. Yeah, yeah. those are super hard to draw. Typically so, yeah. You applying this year? Uh, probably not. There's just no. a lot of factors that are not looking good for Arizona this year. Yeah, well... Is it more season dates or just your it's schedule? It's everything. Or? Season dates, moon phase, drought conditions. It's kind of not looking like a good year for Arizona elk. So do we want to tell them how the drop system works, or do we just want to scare them off with all those things <laughs> of why, why you're not applying? My guess is this will be a very low year for a number of applications in Arizona because I think a lot of people are looking at it. And Arizona is one of those states that – Typically, if you save up the points, you want to go on a good hunt. I mean, Arizona is one of those, for me, it's a long-term strategy hunt. It's I know it's probably going to take 10 years to draw, and I'm okay waiting because I'm going to apply for a trophy-type hunt. And that's my, you know, I'm, I'm not a trophy hunter, but every once in a while I love to go and hunt where there are big bulls, and Arizona is a place I choose to do that. And I just, you know, with season dates so early this year, with the full moon hitting right in the middle of the last week of the the season and probably the worst drought conditions Arizona's ever seen. I just, I think myself yeah. and a lot of other applicants are going to buy a bonus point this year. Yeah. So if you decide not to apply, at least buy a bonus point. Yeah. Because if you don't, not only do you fail to accrue a bonus point for this year, but Arizona has the deal where if you apply for five consecutive years, that sixth year, you get an extra point called a loyalty point, and that stays intact as one of your extra points until such time as you forget to apply, yeah. either for a tag or for a bonus point. So don't. don't if you're going to do Corey Trout, <laughs> <laughs> Corey's just trying to mess with everybody. He wants better draw odds next year. Well, I think that they'll be better this year. If somebody really wants to draw yeah. Arizona, this is the year to actually put in and try to draw. Yeah. If, you're, if you're not concerned about any of those factors, then this would Go. be the year. Because I just, I'm up to, I think, 12 points now. And there is yeah. no way I'm going to burn those on a risky so, year. So you archery hunt. This year, the archery seasons are September 10th through the 23rd. Yep. Those are... Those are early. In a southern latitude, that's a little bit early, probably. Yep. Anyhow, and then 
you uh, you were bringing up what the moon phase was? Yeah. So in Arizona, you know, the times I've hunted it, they really, especially the bigger bulls, really didn't start showing any rut activity until the 17th, 18th, 19th, somewhere in there. So, I mean, we were hearing a few bugles and we were calling in some smaller bulls, but the big bulls started coming out of the woodwork like the 19th, 20th. And so a year when you can hunt through the 26th, 27th, 28th in Arizona, something like that, you're going to get a week of primetime rut hunting, whereas where it closes on the 23rd this year, it's pushing it a little bit. You're only going to have a few days. And then you couple that with the moon phase. And this year, you've got a full moon on the 20th of September. Hmm. So that means that I would say from the 16th on for the rest of the season, you're going to be dealing with a very bright moon in Arizona. Hmm. So a couple of a bright moon during the last week of the archery season, which is early anyway. And that's a pretty bad recipe in, in those southern states, you know, New Mexico, Arizona. And then you brought up the, the drought before we started the podcast. And I just jumped on Go Hunt and was reading their application strategy. And in that, they show the uh, current drought status in Arizona and compare it to the last two years. Yeah. And they make a comment in there that said uh, it wouldn't take much to say it couldn't be worse. And <laughs> looking at the map, that's there's only a couple places that aren't in D4 stage, which is exceptional drought, and those are in D3, which is extreme drought. Wow. Well, I was just down there last week, and I would have to agree with that. It's uh, it's really bad. I've I've hunted Arizona a lot for, you know, elk quail doves javelina deer and we go to this same spot every year and do our coos deer camp and so you get to learn where all the water sources are and you go check them i would say three out of four water sources are completely dry and the ones that have any water have very little water so and talking to some of the guys from northern arizona where the elk are they said it's same up there I said, it's just brutal. Yeah. Well, so, looking, you know, last year, 2020, I think uh, people thought it was a pretty dry year and, you know, hot summer and all that. And about 10% of the state of Arizona last year at this time was in D2, which is severe drought. It's a uh, level two drought. About three or 4% was in D1 and three or 4% was in D0. And the rest of the state, probably 75% of the state or so, had no drought uh, yeah. label or scaling or whatever. And this year, uh, just looking here, it's probably 75% is D4, which is the worst drought condition that they monitor and that they record. And another 20% is D3, which is extreme. And then maybe 5% is in D2, which is severe. So it's statewide yeah. and it's as, as bad as it can get. Yeah. And you can out there and go on, on the insider, you can look at the actual moisture or the rainfall by month. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> the locals I talked to there said 2020 was the year of non-soons which is their term for a bad monsoon because their monsoon season, they get inches and inches of rain in late July, August, September that really fill up those water sources. And 
They said they didn't have anything for monsoons, which is why they're calling it the nonsoon. So, yeah. But for me, I don't apply for archery tags in Arizona because, like you said, it takes 10 plus points for most units, at least, unless you beat the odds. Uh, I always apply for the late rifle tags, which this year start November 26th and run through December 2nd. Uh, in a drought year, though, if if you're concerned about antlers, you're probably going to have antler growth that's subpar. Some of the people will say that's a 10% swing in antler growth. So a 330-inch bull, which is a really nice five- or six-year-old six-point, he's going to lose 10%. What's that, 30? 30, 30, 30 points, yeah. Yeah, which for me, I did, you know, that's not necessarily why I hunt, but don't get me wrong. When I go to Arizona, I got visions of sugar plums dancing in my head. <laughs> and... uh but there is a decent moon phase for the late rifle hunt. Um, it's uh, like coming off uh, full moon, mostly three quarter to a new moon. So I don't know. Have, have you noticed in dry places or dry years a lot more broken antlers? Yeah, and that's the other thing with you getting a state like that down there those desert states you just seem to really have a lot of broken antlers and you know even not just a tine broken off usually it's a half a beam broken off or a whole beam or multiple tines broken and i think that dry conditions seem to seem to add to that yeah well the deadline like we said is the 9th of february don't miss it Oh, you know what else is going to happen this year? Did you get the email from Arizona Game and Fish about the change to your portal account? I did. Yeah, I haven't yeah. looked into that yet. But I, If I was you, I'd go look into it. Most Uh-oh. of those emails, mine came on December 8th. I think most of them were sent out December 8th, 9th, or 10th. You have to log in to your account. In that email, they gave you a temporary username and a temporary password. You have to go in and validate all your information and go in using those temporary things. Huh. If you go in and use all your old information, it's not going to let you in. So here's what I can see happening. You have a lot of these people <laughs> who are procrastinators. So on February 8th or 9th, they're going to try to log in, and they're not going to be able to get in. And the phone lines at Arizona Game and Fish are going to be backed up forever because, well, first of all, if COVID's still in place, you know, a lot of people are working remotely. So yeah. going there and thinking you're going to have some way to sort this out or calling and having a way to sort it out is less likely. So <clears throat> if you're one of those people who get frustrated on the last day or two, don't call us. We <laughs> don't wait until then, yeah. Yeah. So I went in and did it. And it's not as easy as you think. There's a... A box you can check that says if you want, uh, what is it, multiple authentication, like MFA or something, check this box. And I did it, and it it uh, it never sent me anything, so I couldn't get into my account. <clears throat> so I had to call Arizona Game and Fish and get them to re <laughs> reset my account without <laughs> that box checked. So don't check the box that says MFA. because you're not going to be able to get into your account trust me on that 
Um, so I'm looking here. I took a screenshot of how long this was on. What's the date of this? I was I was in a COVID fog, so I, I <laughs> I'll uh, throw some of that as blame. But the screenshot says I was on the phone for an hour and two minutes and twenty one seconds trying to get this solved. And I think it took 21 seconds for the lady to solve it. It's just how busy they were. Wow. That's how long I was in the queue, over an hour. But hmm. So don't be that person. There's there, there could be problems here. Yeah. But if you do apply, should we tell them, uh, give them the <laughs> overview? I, I think Might most people well. prob- they probably know because most people probably are already in the Arizona. Maybe you're one of the 52,668 non-residents in the Arizona elk system already. Oh, my goodness. 52,000 yeah. non-residents? In, in the, the that, Yeah, that have at least one point or more in the wow. Arizona elk system. So those who... Uh, and. When we get into this, uh, you'll see that Arizona, they say it's a a uh, bonus point system, but it's really a, what I call a hybrid system yeah. because they have two portions to their draw. Um, and if, if you apply, you get two choices. Well, first of all, you got to buy your non-resident, non-refundable hunting license. $160. Is that what it is? 160? Something I think like that? so. 160 yeah. for the combination. <clears throat> and then you're going to pay an application fee of, I think, like 50, 10, 15 bucks, something like that. But you don't have to front all the money. I remember back in the day in Arizona, you had to front all the money, which meant oh, writing man. a check. <laughs> yeah. And well, it meant writing a check, and it also meant a really difficult discussion at dinner one night. <laughs> I mean, the number of marriages Arizona Game and Fish saved by not making people send the full dollar amount is probably significant. Yeah. But anyhow, you don't have to do that anymore. It's all online. Uh, But when you apply, they split their draw into two two parts. And some people call it first pass, second pass. Some people call it the bonus pass or the one-two pass. I just call it first part, second part. It <laughs> makes it easier in my head. So this is where it becomes a hybrid system. Arizona takes 20% of the tags in every hunt code, and it puts them over in the first part of the draw and says, we're going to do this as if these bonus points are really preference points. The applicant with the most points is going to get the tag until the 20% of these tags for this hunt code are allocated. So everybody goes in that draw. The majority of us don't draw. So then we all go over to the second part of the draw where it's the remaining 80% of the tags aren't a true bonus point system, which are like raffle tickets. Yep. And you get an extra number in the hat for each point you have. And the cool thing about Arizona is you can apply for, I think, is it four hunts? Five. Five hunts, and they look at yep. your first two when they draw your your ticket. So yep. they pull your name out, and they look at it, and they say, "Okay, you applied for a really hard to draw hunt on your first one, and those tags are all gone." But then your second choice, you applied for one that's a little easier to draw, and we've got one left. So they give you the tag, so you can draw your second choice hunt on the first time, first round. Yep. 
That uh, that's the strategy I use. I my first choice in Arizona is always some crazy early rifle season tag. And it's like, hey, you never know. Maybe my number comes up, and if it does, I want to have some really sweet hunt in my first slot. But then my safety net is all right. Late rifle. They're way easier to draw. Yep. But here's a little thing that I did not know this until about four years ago. That if you apply for a third, fourth, or fifth choice, it burns your points if yeah. you get drawn. <laughs> so I had a friend who had a whole gunny sack full of tag, uh, points. And he applied for a first and second. And it was in a party. I think it was with a younger a nephew or you know something like that. Uh, and he thought, well, if we don't draw, we'll go hunt cows. And so they put a third, fourth, or fifth choice as a cow tag. Mm. And he drew. He was under the same impression I was at the time, that third, fourth, and fifth choice doesn't burn your points. He burned all of those, that big gunny sack of points he had for a cow tag. Yeah. So uh, since then, I've told my crew, if any of you apply for a third, fourth, or fifth choice, you're fired. (laughs) <laughs> I'm the same. I, I only apply for the first and second. And there's some states where if you if you draw a second choice hunt, it doesn't yeah. use your points. But Arizona right. is not one of those states. Right. So anyhow, people should keep that in mind as yeah. they're they're applying. Um and then there's that cap. There's a 10% up to 10%, kind of like we have in Montana and you have in Idaho. We're non-residents. We're not guaranteed 10%, but the cap says we'll never get more than 10%. Yep. So, well, and they changed which, it to, here a couple of years ago. It used to be that all, all of the non-resident tags could potentially be given out in the first round. In that, yeah, first in that first part, percent. Yeah. yeah, because there's a higher percentage of non-residents applying for those hard-to-draw hunts with more points, and yep. so by the time they got through that, if you didn't have max points, there were no tags left, and they changed it here a few years back where half of the non-resident tags go into that first part, and they reserve half of them for the second part, so now people with fewer bonus points still have a chance of drawing those hunts, which... For somebody just getting into the draw is a good thing. For me, you know, I think I was at nine points when that happened, and I was either guaranteed or a year away from guaranteed to draw the tag I wanted to draw. And mm-hmm. just by them changing that, it bumped it up to needing 14 points to be able to draw that tag now. Oh, bummer. So it almost well, maybe added you should 50%. Apply this year. <laughs> now that you've discouraged everybody, apply this year. Exactly. No, that's uh, I'm not applying in Arizona this year. So there's some people who've been in this Arizona system for a long time. Yeah. So if you go and look at the point layers, there are the number of people with 15 or more points is almost 3,000 non-residents. Yep. And those people are applying for the hard-to-draw tags. So. Yep, and there's not that many bull tags in the state of Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, especially when you look at the 10% cap for yeah. non-residents. Um, if you're, so, you know, if you have 15 or more points, there's somebody with 31 non-resident bonus points in Arizona. 
I've been watching that for years. This person must just go and buy a point, or he's got an application service, he or her does, that does this for them. Every year, they just buy a point. It's like, you got 31 points. You could hunt any elk hunt in Arizona in any year. What is your problem? What are you waiting for? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the highest point total for a resident is there's one straggler with 27 points. He's probably, he or she is probably a point buyer also. Yeah. So. Well, what's crazy is you said there's about how many people with 15 or more? Almost 3,000. Just under 3,000. So almost 3,000 with 15 or more. And you think, gosh, you know, if I've got 15 or more, it's going to, still take a while to to get through that but then yeah. you go from 10 to 15 there's another 4000 mm-hmm. a little over yep. 4000 there from 10 to 15 which yeah. is the the range I'm in but then there's 20,000 non-residents with one point yeah just at that entry level that got in last year 20,000 non-residents so mm-hmm. it's that's insane yeah, that could be people who just got in or people who went and took the hunter ed class. So yeah. let's talk about that. Yeah. if you ha- Have you went and taken it? I have not taken the in-person hunter ed class. I've got the online course done, but now the in-person one has been suspended due to COVID. Due and COVID, yeah. And the reason that's important in Arizona is you get a permanent bonus point that never goes away if you go take the non-resident hunter ed class. So, in my example, I drew Arizona elk in 2017. I got a bonus point in 18, I got a bonus point in 19, I got a bonus point in 20. So, most people would say, well, since you drew in 17, your points should go back to zero. Well, in my case, they go back to two because I have my permanent hunter ed point and I have my loyalty point for having been in the system five consecutive years. Yeah. So... This year, instead of having three points, I've got five. And there are tags you can draw with three to five points. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the late hunts that I apply for, I've got some of the units I've got on my calendar, I've got like a 20 or 30% chance of drawing, which some would say, oh, that means you got a 70 or 80% chance that you don't draw. Well, (laughs) (laughs) that's fine. Compared to most uh, applications I send in, I'll take 20 or 30% all day long. Oh, yeah. But So that Hunter Ed point, a lot of those people where it says have one point, um, I suspect quite a few of those might be the Hunter Ed people. Yeah. Have I told you my story about the year I went and took the Hunter Ed class in 2007? If you did, I'd love to hear it again. Okay. So <laughs> I, at the time, I'm one point below maximum on deer. And I'm looking, I'm seeing hmm, every year all these non-resident tags go to the maximum point holders for the Arizona Strip, mule deer tag. Well, I'm going to Kingman. I'm taking that class. So I go down there in January, take the class. Me and Uncle Larry and some of my college buddies get together. We go shoot a big mess of quail. Now I'm in the maximum point pool for deer. And when those results came out in July, I had an Arizona strip mule deer tag in my hand. Because I went and took the hunter ed class. Yep. So, anyhow, if you want to go take that class when it comes available again right now i was talking to their people just like you were and that's 
deferred because of COVID. Uh, it's something you should think about doing if Arizona is part of your annual planning. Yep. So. I love Arizona. I hope I draw this year. I don't care if it's a drought or what. I just like being there. You never know when you're going to see that, you know, what we call Big Hank yep. step out of the woods, even though and this I, year it's going to be tougher. And I really think that any unit in Arizona can produce a big bull. Like it's not, mm-hmm. you know, there's yeah. some states where it's like, okay, you're just not going to see a bull over 320. It just, they don't yeah. live there. They don't exist. In Arizona, yeah. every unit, I think, has bulls over 350. I mean, some of the units you can draw with, you know, archery units, the easiest to draw archery units in the state of Arizona, you can be hunting 350-plus bulls. Yep. No, oh, they are there. Yeah, there's not a lot of them in, in those units, uh, and you might not ever see one, or you might see five of them. Just to mm-hmm. know that you're you're hunting in Arizona, there's a special feeling about having an Arizona elk tag for sure. Yeah. So there's a little bit for everybody. They have some muzzleloader seasons. They have rifle seasons. They have archery seasons. They have some cow elk seasons. Yep. Yeah. If, if you want to go, oh, and the cow elk, the antlerless tags are not subject to the 10% cap. Nor are the limited opportunity hunts that are considered, quote unquote, any elk. So um, the reason they're limited opportunity is it's kind of on the fringe of what is their core elk range. And they're trying to keep the numbers down. So they give away a lot of tags and let you thump on them pretty hard. But uh, if it's any elk, uh, my understanding is that's not subject to uh, uh, 10% non-resident cap so so one more thing that's worth mentioning we did get an email here not too long ago somebody expecting their their first child and they wanted to start putting them in for bonus points in different states and want to know what states would be the best to start collecting them in mm-hmm. i think arizona is the first one that you can collect bonus points in based on age and they have to be 10 at the time of the draw i believe Yep. Um, so I've started all of my children, you know, I've got a 17, almost 18 year old, a 16 year old and a 14 year old. And I started all of them when they were 10. So I'll have yep. children with eight, six and four points. Plus, uh, you know, they'll be able to take the hunter ed course, hopefully when I do and loyalty points. So they'll be mm-hmm. sitting on a whole pile of points by the time they're 18 or 20 in Arizona. So Arizona is yeah. a great state for youth because the non-resident youth hunting license that is required to apply or to purchase a bonus point is $5. Yeah. And their bonus point fee is five, five bucks. If I remember right. Yep. I mean, that's 10 bucks to apply for elk in Arizona. I think I spilled that much coffee on the floor during covid <laughs> oh, it's fogging around stumbling and bumbling oh, i know i spilled more than that i broke I, I broke one of my wife's uh favorite plates that she handed why she would do that why would you serve your husband who is obviously delirious without covid yeah why would you bring him a <laughs> cup of tea on one of your favorite plates I told her, I said, you're just asking for it. You know, I, uh, so anyhow, it, that cost me more than 10 bucks. So if you don't have 10 <laughs> bucks to apply to your kid, darn. 
Let me know. I'll send you 10 bucks. Oh, don't say that. You're going to get some emails from people. <laughs> want to take advantage of you. Yeah, I, uh, I'm sure that I'll, <laughs> I'll get a whole bunch now that I said yeah. that. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to withdraw that comment. That was just humor, folks. Don't all send me an email for a $10 bill. Uh, but so what else is going on in Arizona that we need to be thinking about when it comes to the elk? Well, here's what I tell people. If you want a, uh, a non-resident, non-refundable license that gives you a lot of value, if you like hunting things other than elk, make sure you apply for antelope. Yeah, the odds are just about zero, but it's like buying a raffle ticket. And then in June, when the deer and sheep deadline come out, you already have bought the license. So apply for those because, again, it's like buying another raffle ticket. And if you like to hunt birds like I do, go down there dove or quail hunting when it's how, – how cold did you say it was this morning, Corey? Nine Min, below? Minus eight? degree – yeah, minus nine degrees here uh, driving into the office. Okay. Less okay. than a week ago, I was down in sunny Arizona hunting quail and javelina. So, when Corey's up here and it's nine below zero, I have nothing but smiles when I'm down in Arizona getting more value out of my hunting license. <laughs> what was the temperature down there? Uh, the one day we had to head for the shade, it got in the low 70s and it was just too hot. <laughs> so, you know. But, oh well, it's, there's a lot, lot to be had in Arizona, plus the amount of public land they have. The the core elk habitat, with the exception of maybe one or two units, is the majority of it is public land. All right. you, you seldom see no trespassing signs when you're out elk hunting in Arizona. Yeah. Very seldom. And if you do, they don't last very long. What's that? If you do see a no trespassing sign, it, it doesn't last yeah. very long before you're back on public land. Yeah, it's very, very small pieces that usually are posted. So, what what do you think of these muzzleloader season dates? These this year, the muzzleloader seasons start September twenty fourth and run through September thirtieth. Yeah, the early muzzleloaders. Yep. So they have the early uh, archery, the early muzzleloader, and the early rifle, and. It goes in uh, in the order of archery, which this year is the 10th to the 23rd for the archery only. And then they've got the, the muzzleloader tags that run basically the next day, the 24th through the 30th. And then yep. this year, the early rifle hunts run same uh, date, 24th, 24th to the 30th. And they alternate a lot of those units. So one year, a unit that has the early rifle hunt, the next year, it'll be an early muzzleloader hunt. And so they yeah. don't have early rifle hunts in the same units every year for the most part on a lot of those. Yeah. Well, my uncle Larry, who is hunts with us often, uh, if we need some colorful commentary or some adult language, we call him in because he's a <laughs> he's the Charlie Daniels of colorful language, man. Uh, <laughs> And uh, so he's a resident. He lives in the Phoenix area. And I'm hoping that one of these years he draws an early rifle elk tag because uh, now that he's been dealing with cancer for the last, I don't know, 12, 13 years, he's, his mobility is not what it is or was. And so I, I'd give anything to be on one of those early rifle hunts. That's what we apply him for. 
And uh, whenever, whenever we get close to an elk, whether he gets a shot or not, it is a blue streak of words for at least three minutes after the encounter is over. And uh, it's just, it's so much fun to be with him. But uh, his odds as a resident are obviously way better. So uh, we'll see if it works out. If yeah. it does, I might, I might, well, you'll be busy. But I was going to say, I'll have the world champion elk caller come and call one right into his lap. <laughs> but no. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think what else goes on in Arizona that we're missing. Nothing really that I, I can don't think, think of. think so. No. No. Uh, you want to give them the unit you apply for? Yeah, sure. It's, <laughs> wait, 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 no. <laughs> uh, no. We don't do any of that. You know, for, and, and that's the thing. I'll I'll have people sometimes that'll email me or message me and say, hey, I heard you drew, you hunted unit X, you know, six years mm-hmm. ago. I drew that tag this year. Are you willing to share any information? And in those hard-to-draw hunts, I'm more than happy to share information when somebody draws it. Uh, you know, an over-the-counter type thing, We that's about the most sacred thing that you keep dear and, and near to your heart. But some of those draw yeah. units, you know, that, I'm only going to draw once every 12 or 15 years. I'm more than happy to share information if I have information on that hunt. And, you know, I get emails from people just random, hey, Drew, Colorado unit X, whatever, and do you have any information? And unfortunately, I've only hunted Colorado one time, and it was an over-the-counter hunt, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't send somebody I hate to hunt that unit. So, <laughs> uh, well, uh, I I think what people should take from this is what you said at the beginning, Corey. Is even the the lower demand units in Arizona still have some quality elk hunting that is worth your time and money. Yep. So. And I would say even on a drought year with a full moon, if you draw an Arizona early archery muzzleloader or rifle tag, you're going to have a better hunt than you'll have on any over-the-counter type of a hunt. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's just if you have 12 or 15 points, you don't want to throw them at at the calendar on a bad year, so... Yeah. Well, the year I drew an early rifle elk tag in Arizona, 2005... It was a full moon, but I refused to blame it on the full moon. It was just my complete ineptitude. <laughs> I, I, and the fact that two days before season opened, we saw a monster. I mean, just this hulk of a bull. And I passed up a lot of other bulls trying to find him, and you know how that goes. Yep. He, it's amazing down there how they can disappear, because a lot of that stuff is just... It's not wide open, but you think you'd be able to see every animal that lives in the unit just by getting on a high knob and doing some glassing. And same with yeah. us. We had multiple bulls that kept giving us the slip, and we never saw them again. And I think a lot of it has to do with the time of the year we were hunting. You know, that 14th, 15th of September, that's when the big bulls start roaming. And I know the bull that I ended up shooting, they had seen it in an adjacent unit during the summer. Uh, so it completely moved units. So I think uh, that has a lot to do with those big bulls disappearing during the during the rut as they'll travel a long ways looking for cows. Yeah. Well, I just, that for me, it's merely a function of what little I knew about elk hunting at the time. 
Some would probably say, well, you haven't learned anything since then, Newbert. So <laughs> what are you doing a podcast about elk hunting for? Uh, so now that we've covered Arizona, I'd like to get to a couple questions uh, or comments we got. Um, oh, before we go there, in in your University of Elk Hunting course, mm-hmm. do you talk about drought years and how that uh, do you have any information in there about a little bit, you know, not a, not a whole lot. We talk about, you know, during drought years, uh, water's going to be your best best bet. Um, and the thing is, on a drought year, it can actually, if you're willing to sit water, it can Which make can. hunting better. You know, yeah. it's it's it concentrates those animals, like you said. Three of the four water holes were dry, so that means every mm-hmm. animal in the area has to go to that one water hole that's not dry. And so if you're willing to sit water in Arizona during an early archery hunt, it can be super productive and you can kill big bulls. You know, that's probably the most efficient way to hunt a big bull is find out where they're going for water and set up a blind. Yeah. Well, I'm somebody who can't sit still for more than about three minutes. Me too. (laughs) Cross me off that list. In fact, when we were down archery coos hunting last month, it was I had a tag, Marcus had a tag, and Josh Soholt had a tag. I refused to sit water. Of those three people I mentioned, two of them shot a a deer. (laughs) And they both sat water. Yeah. I don't know how they can do it, but they did, and they both shot a buck. Me, I'm fumbling and stumbling and making a fool of myself. But for those of you who can sit water, I think you make a really good point there, Corey, that in a drought year, that and it kind of flips some of the disadvantages to being an advantage if you are if you have the fortitude to do it. Yeah, and just understand that there are limited water holes now and the same number of tags in the unit. So... It might be competitive getting a water hole to sit on. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's the, the kind of the downside is you almost got to bring your own rock to stand on. Yeah. Um, or but, bring a shovel and dig your own water hole. <laughs> Which is crazy well, to me. And I'd, I'd never experienced it until we hunted Arizona, but... They have, they call them tanks. And so I'm expecting yep. this great big metal water tank that they're putting water in. Well, they, just, they they literally dig a hole and they drive a water truck out there and they will fill these tanks manually by, you know, hand man-filled tanks to provide water for the animals. Yeah. And especially on a drought year, you know, I think that, I, I don't know because I'm not a resident there, but I think that they get more active in providing water for the animals. And there are guzzlers mm-hmm. and things that collect rain and condensation and drip it into a, a water tank. And uh, yep. so there are there are uh, ways that you can still hunt over water, even if natural water might dry up. Yeah, I'm count me out. Yeah, but. Uh, so which, which of these questions, now that we've, I think we've talked everybody out of applying for an actual tag in Arizona this year? Except for those with patience. There you go. Well, there's got to be some redeeming value in listening to our our podcast, right? <laughs> I don't know if I'd call it a value, but. <laughs> uh, so this person sent in a. Uh, a question and they're 26 years old 
And they said, you know, I, I listened to your podcast about crowding and and growth of resident hunters in these Western states. I'm 26 years old. I've just started applying for points. Am I wasting my time and money? It's kind of a, a summary of the of the question. Uh, and, <laughs> Can we summarize yeah. the answer? <laughs> Probably. Probably you're wasting yeah. your time and money. <clears throat> but that said, it's the system that's in place. Yeah. So you, you, you really have two choices. Throw your hands up in the air and know that you're never going to go and travel and hunt some of these places you might dream of. Or you accept the fact that these are the systems in place and you do as much research, as much info gathering and, and networking as you can, and you play the game. I, I don't know how else to do it. Yep. I mean, you and I are lucky that we, we started in these systems a long time ago. Uh, this person said they've been in it for three years. Uh, and he's, the question is, should I just put my money in the stock market and pay for a private hunt someday? <laughs> uh, when I think of climate change, increased recreation from other sources, more interest in elk hunting, point creep, population increases, it just seems like a downhill battle. I hunt 16 days a year and would like to continue that in state and out of state. Do you believe I'll have any opportunity in my 40s and 50s, or will the old fart I would be at age 50 have to buy a private license? Question, is the heyday of elk hunting in the rearview mirror? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't either. I, no, think, uh, I think there will be a realignment of some of these systems in the future. I don't know how they can do oh. it or what they can do, but I think there's going to have to be change to... Sure to manage the numbers of hunters uh, and the resources. I hope that they look at increasing the resources instead of limiting the hunters. Uh, I hope that hunters look at the, the opportunities for working to increase the resources. Uh, yeah. But I really think that, you know, like you said, you've got you've to join the system to play. That's just, it's, it is what it is. I think there are opportunities to draw hunts in just about every state, maybe with the exception of Nevada, uh, yeah. with a, and even Nevada is a true bonus point system where you mm -hmm. do have an opportunity with no points to draw. So I yep. think, you know, it's, yeah, you're taking a chance, but if you buy points in five states, you increase your chances. And I really think that even still today and in the foreseeable future, you're going to be able to draw a, a Maybe not a great hunt, but a decent hunt every three, four, five years. Yeah. And that's where I think we touched on it some earlier in, in prior podcasts is you have to allocate your budget accordingly. You, yeah. you, you got to think about where am I getting the most value? And I think the two states right out of the gate, Wyoming and Arizona, if you're an elk hunter, and you're applying as a non-resident, those are the two states where you get the greatest value. That's just my personal opinion. And so if you only have X budget to allocate, I'd start with those two states, and then I'd add other states as my budget allowed. Yeah. But, so to that person, <clears throat> appreciate that question. Uh, and yeah, there are a lot of people in the tube, if you want to call it that, in the tunnel in front of you. Uh, 
Wyoming right now has 124,000 non-residents in their system. <laughs> their elk system. Colorado has even more. We just did Arizona. They've got 52,000. Utah has tw- almost 18,000. And those 18,000, those are just the point buyers. Um, how many were actual applicants last year? I have this. So, um, Anyhow, I, I can't find it right now. But even if we just use the point buyer number, uh, 18,000 people are in the Utah elk system. And they give away, I don't know, hardly Not very a, few many. Hun- <laughs> yeah. a few hundred non-resident elk tags each year. Yeah. So even, and, and I look at where the bubbles of some of these point numbers are, there are a ton of people in Wyoming that have max points. Yeah. There are a ton of non-residents in Arizona that have 15 and above. There are even more. The percentage in Utah that has double-digit points is, I think it's getting close to half of the applicants in Utah have double-digit points for elk. So the the reason I say this is there are a ton of people who've been doing this for at least 10 years to end up with double-digit points. Ten years from now, none of this is going to really change dramatically. So do you want to be one of those people with double-digit points ten years from now? Yep. That's where if so, it's just the reality. Yes now. <laughs> yeah. It's just the reality of how the game is played. And, I, you know, we can wish it to be different, but it's not. I, you know, you brought up, Corey, in uh, Arizona, how they changed it. When I first started applying in Arizona in 1997, they didn't even have this first pass, second pass. Yeah. It was all just bonus point. Yep. And then they went to the first pass, second pass. And like you said, the 10% quota was being met in, in that first pass of the, you know, the, the high point holder tags. And then they changed it to where no more than half of the non-resident quota could go in the first pass and leave at least half, maybe more, in the second pass. Point of this is, all these systems change. What you're buying into today is not what the system is probably going to be when you have double-digit points. Yep. If history's any indicator, any anyhow. So yeah. they're just I mean people are invested in these systems now so the number of people applying isn't going to change it isn't going to decrease most likely anywhere and you look at it and if you want increased opportunity you've got to increase the resource and Randy you've talked about that a ton that you know yep. there are those who look at it as hey let's get rid of the competition and there are others who look at it and say hey let's add to the resources and I went ice fishing for the first time in my life yesterday <laughs> cool. Yeah. And it was, uh, you know, it was cold. It was, it was minus nine this morning. It wasn't a whole lot warmer yesterday morning, uh, but we were prepared for it. And we went out and sat on the ice and caught a couple perch. And right here locally, Lake Cascade has one of the best jumbo perch fisheries. And people are continually pulling out two pound plus perch. Wow. And there was a picture somebody posted on a, a Facebook group for the for the ice fishing here. And I think they had 80 perch laid out on a table. And there's no limit on perch here. And huh. people were giving them all sorts of grief about keeping right. so many fish. 
And they said, you yeah. know, you're going to ruin the, the fishery. If everybody goes in there and doesn't regulate themselves, then it's going to uh, deplete the, the resource. And there's some truth to that for sure. Uh-huh. I think fish might be a little different because they reproduce so prolifically that it's not like mm-hmm. an elk. Um, but with that being said, if people spend as much energy on working to increase the resource as they do complaining about the limited resource, <laughs> yeah. we wouldn't have problems like this. And so, you know, that's why the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation is so vital. Uh, other organizations that work to improve habitat, that work to uh, just increase that resource so that there is a bigger pie. You know, we, we worry about our piece of the pie getting smaller. Well, if you make the pie bigger, then your, yep. your overall quantity is going to be the same or even better. So... Yeah, I just I agree with you on that philosophy of hey, what can we do to make the resource better, to get more people involved without sacrificing uh, more of that piece of the pie. Yeah, I I don't want to be in a race to zero where there's yeah. only one non-resident tag and there's forty thousand people applying for it. I I want to help there be more elk, more wildlife everywhere on the landscape, <clears throat> and uh, that. To me, to kind of getting to this person's point or question, don't don't let it get you down. I mean, yeah, you got to have a realistic approach to it. And we talk about often the short-term, mid-term, long-term plan. You got to have a budget. And sometimes that budget grows. I mean, the first time I started doing this, the only state I could afford was Colorado. And then along came the next year, I think I added Nevada because I'd went to college there and I wanted to go back. And then the next year I added Arizona and I kept adding states uh, each year. So it's it's not like most people can, especially this person says they're 26. Uh, when I was 26, oh man, I couldn't afford to apply in my home state, yeah. um, out of state. So, <laughs> uh, but if you have budget, do it. Be disciplined about it, but make sure you're getting value out of the money you're investing. If, if all you're going to do is just go to these states and swing for the fences for the most difficult hunts, you're probably going to end up frustrated because you, well, unless that's your plan. And if you just say, look, I view all these as lottery tickets and I'm just going to go, you know, spend all this money and consider everything a half a percent draw odd well you know if you do enough applications once every 10 years you might draw but don't be frustrated the other nine years because that's that's an expected outcome of the plan in place and well uh, i know people that that's their their goal is to hunt the best units in each state and -hmm. they have points in like you said six or seven states and once you start building them up you get up to 15 16 points and you're able to draw one of those states. And then you start over the next year with that. So you're thinking, okay, I'm at zero points. It's going to take forever to get back up there. But then three years later, you draw one of the best units in Arizona. And then three years later, you draw one of the best units in Montana or whatever it is. And if, you, if you're willing to invest that time, you can hunt incredible units you know, every three or four years if you have the budget to, to put in for all those different states. And by the time you cycle through those, you have 15 or 16 points back in the, the first state that you drew. And, you know, looking at yeah. that, we're talking 
a 15-year investment and then a 15-year period of drawing those prime hunts. But somebody that's 26, you yeah. know, by the time they're 56, they could have hunted six or seven states, premier top-tier units in those states, and be back in the game in their mid-50s to start drawing some yep. of those premier units again. So it's like investing money. You look at it and say, okay, I've got $1,000 right now. 7% isn't going to get me anything. I'm going to have a thousand, you know, $1,070 next year. And that's yeah. not that much. You know, I want to, I want a way I can double my money and it just doesn't happen. But after 10 years, you got that compounded interest and now your money's doubled and, you know, it's kind of, you just got to invest. You got to start somewhere and invest and realize that it's might be a long-term strategy, but it is the, yeah. the system that's in place. And for this person, they're 26. Yeah. I did not do my first non-resident application until I was 30, 31. Yeah, I would have been 31. So they're already, they said they've been doing it for three years. So they started at 23. Heck, they're eight years ahead of where I was. Yeah. Uh, so I just, I don't know. And then when I was 26, I'll be honest. Now that I'm 56, when I was 26, I thought when you were 56, that's when they put you in the nursing home where they, <laughs> where they came and once an hour, they had someone come and wipe the drool out of the corner of your mouth while you're in the rocking chair and you got the TV turned up way loud and you're falling asleep as quick as you have your, your breakfast of applesauce and Melba toast or something. <laughs> and your wife's sitting over there going, that was you a month ago, Randy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh so point of this is it's easy i know the person's saying well it's easy for you to say you know you've been through the tunnel you're, you're 30 years past where i'm at da, da, da. yeah but you don't get to having double digit points in a lot of states without a plan and without some time they don't let you just show up and say hey i'd like to buy 15 points today yeah, you know, I'm just yep. not at work. So, and don't don't let it get you down. You know, have a plan and stick to it, and and go hunting. Yep. And there are states like New Mexico and Idaho that don't have a point system, so everybody has a fair chance. And that's yeah. uh, that's that's in addition to the states that have the system for bonus points or preference points. So, yeah, those this one, be part of the strategy too. This next question might be a quick and easy one. Uh, the person says, hey, I have a question on scent. Do you use any type of scent killer? Say I put my camo on and I drive to the mountains 30 miles away and I meet up with a friend who's been eating McDonald's the whole way. We hunt a little and we don't see anything, so we go eat lunch at a restaurant and then smell like french fries. Then we go hunt another mountain in the evening. What do you do about those scent conditions? First of all, my, my first I, I, thought was get a new hunting partner if he's eating a McDonald's. <laughs> that, that's what I was gonna say too. <laughs> go watch the go watch the documentary called Super Size Me or whatever it's called. <laughs> You'll never eat at McDonald's or those places ever again. But yep. I don't use any scent cover because I'm moving and it's so active. I'm sweating. Uh, I just to me it's just a waste of money but yeah. if maybe you, you have a different idea and i've heard people that say you know they eat garlic for a month before elk season because it reduces the the scent that the body puts off and all of these different things and realistically an elk's nose is so good that yeah. no matter what you do if the wind is taking your scent to the elk he's going to smell you whether you're whether you fell yeah. in the 
Vavada fryer grease at McDonald's or whether you ate garlic for a month before the hunt, he's going to smell you. And so any kind of scent killer, scent reducer, scent mask, scent anything other than playing the wind is is not a good strategy. It's not going to be efficient. I mean, yeah, I've, I don't want to go out there and smell so bad that anything within a 180-degree radius of me is going to smell me. But same point, I don't waste a whole lot of energy worrying about that. I, I spend that time playing the wind and keeping the wind in my favor. Yeah. This will be a quick one, and I'll answer it. Uh, this person says, hey, guys, I need some clarification. In one podcast, Randy asserted that leased public land in Colorado is off limits. A friend who hunts Colorado is certain that the leases give the outfitter exclusivity for the service, but those lands are still open to public in over-the-counter and point-restricted areas. Can you clarify? Perhaps both are true. What I was referring to is state trust lands in Colorado are not open to public hunting unless Colorado Parks and Wildlife has come and leased those state trust lands. So state trust lands are these lands owned by the state land board. They're on your map. They'll show up as the light powder blue squares. In every other state I'm aware of, other than Colorado, at least Western states, your hunting license or your recreation pass gives you access to those state lands for hunting. Now, New Mexico and Wyoming, you cannot camp on those state lands. You can hunt them, but you can't camp on them. In Colorado, you can't camp on them, you can't hunt them, you can't fish. If you had a gut ache, I don't think you could poop on them uh, <laughs> <laughs> without permission of the lessee. Uh, so that's what I was referring to. It does not apply to BLM lands. Bureau of Land Management land that doesn't apply to United States Forest Service lands, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service lands. It doesn't apply to any of the federal lands. It does not apply to any land owned by Colorado Parks and Wildlife. But in the West, we have these great big land boards that were endowed with a ton of land when these states became were granted their statehood. And those are managed by state land boards. In Colorado, the rule is that you cannot hunt those state land board, state trust lands without permission of the lessee. So that's what I was, that was the point I was making. Uh, sorry if I created some confusion. but so. uh, And that's, I mean, coming from Idaho, state land here is, it's public land. I mean, it's open yeah. for whatever you want to do, hunting, fishing, camping, all of that. And so when I hunted with you in New Mexico and you said we can't camp on state land, I'm thinking, yep. wait, what? You can't camp on state <laughs> It's public land. It's state land. Why, why can you not camp on state-owned yeah. land? And then Colorado takes it a step further than that, and it's private yeah. land. You live in the state, your state owns the land, and you can't access it. Yep. So you, I would say Idaho has the best state trust land rules of any state. And really? Montana isn't that far behind. But thanks to some, uh, in the early 1990s when I first moved to Montana, some real just uh, salt of the earth mentors of mine. That, well, they didn't even know they were my mentors at the time. I didn't know they'd become my mentors. They went to our legislature and they got 
the Montana state trust lands rules changed. Instead of it being like Colorado, like Montana was, they got it changed where now we pay 10 bucks for a recreation pass and it's just like Idaho. But man, you talk about a knockdown drag out. Whew. That, there were a lot of unhappy people who were leasing those state lands when all of a sudden we said, you know what? We'll pay $10 to the state school system. That's where the money from all these lands goes to for the right to access these state trust lands. And so now a lot of Montana hunters, I think, take it for granted. But if you would have been there and you would have seen Tony Shunin Sr. and Jack Atchison Sr. and Jim Posowitz and the, the, the list goes on and on of these. I mean, they showed up at the Capitol and they weren't going away. And the end result was after a big blow up, we can now hunt the five point, I think it's 5.4 million acres of state trust lands in Montana. Where wow. before that, we were like Colorado. You couldn't hunt them. Hmm. So I'm glad you guys have the best rules out there in yeah. Idaho. You do. Yep. So. And it's hard because state lands are mandated that they have to be profitable. Yep. And owning land is not a profitable venture. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just not. It's If you're a landowner, it's hard to make a profit on your land. And, you know, logging only goes so far. Grazing only goes so far. And so Idaho faces a lot of uh, developers trying to take advantage of that situation and say, hey, we'll trade you some invaluable land here for this super valuable land and we'll pay you for it and then we'll subdivide it. And so, you know, it's just another step towards losing our public lands where they're, yeah. people are taking steps to try to privatize it and, and put it in private hands and yeah. Fortunately, people are seeing through that. There's been so much education the last 10 years on public land issues, and people are seeing through that, that, hey, we've got to yeah. protect this because once it's gone, it's gone forever. It'll never be public again. Yep. Yeah. Hey, very seldom does land go from public to private and then back to public. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or if it does, let me know where that happens. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, so... Right now, we're focusing on this time of year. Uh, we call it tag application season, and that's the first step to getting a tag. And we want everybody to to understand how to clear some of these hurdles on a state-by-state -state basis. But once people get their tags, then it's scouting, learning, researching. And uh, your University of Elk Hunting course, Corey, uh, to me is kind of the place if you want information about elk hunting all kinds of conditions and i know you've asked me to help a little bit this year i'm going to be following your instruction hey can you do a video on this or a video on that um i i know you're kind of modest so you're not going to promote it but i am <laughs> i i think everybody who has an elk tag in their pocket can benefit from going out to the university of elk hunting using promo code ELKTALK, and signing up for your course. You know, and, and honestly, that was my goal when I created it was, I don't want it to just be for beginners. I want it to cover everything that a beginner needs to know to be successful. But I want to include things that people have been hunting for 30 years can, can benefit from. And mm -hmm. one of my goals when I first set out to 
to uh, be an elk hunter was if I'm going to educate people, if that's my true goal is to, to share elk hunting information in an educational format with others with the goal of making them successful, I need to have experienced different hunting styles. I need to have experienced different hunting conditions, different hunting terrains. And my goal has been to be successful in all 10 of the Western states when it comes to elk hunting. And that's a process. You know, getting a tag in Nevada, unless you've got really deep pockets and you buy a tag, it's it takes a long time. You know, and Washington is a state that I'm just, I'm dragging my feet to draw a tag or get a tag in Washington because it's... It's not easy, and I, I want to hunt. You know, Roosevelt elk is is uh, that that's my Oregon goal, and I could hunt Roosevelt elk in Washington and hopefully be successful there. But I think I want to hunt Rocky Mountain elk in Washington just because it is difficult, and I want to mm. I want to have that experience. But through all that, you know, if somebody that's hunted their home state for twenty years, there's going to be value in the online course if you want to go out of state. There's going to be value if you are a primarily rifle hunter and you want to go to archery. If you are primarily a spot and stock archery hunter and you want to call in elk. I just think that it's going to expand the tools you already have, the the experience you already have. I hope that it will expand that and add to your success. It's not in any way saying you've got to completely change everything you're doing and do it exactly the way that, that Randy and I do it. It is, hey, take what you know whether that's nothing at all or whether that's more experience than we have. And hopefully there is something you can glean from the course that's going to make you better than you are right now. Yeah. I I mean, I don't hold myself out to be uh, <laughs> anything in terms of an elk hunting expert. What I have had the benefit of and the privilege in this amazing country we live in is I've been able to hunt so many different states with so many different weapons at so many different season types, like you mentioned, and all these different habitat types. Every time I go do that, I make a series of mistakes and I say, what was I thinking? And if you're smart, and I'm not saying I'm smart, but eventually you kind of cross off all those stupid mistakes and say, let's not do that again. <laughs> and so a lot of my stuff that I try to promote or put out there are are not so much what to do but what not to do <laughs> because I, I i'm like the minnesota vikings football team they can invent ways to lose just when you think that they can't lose they invent a new way to lose a game well <laughs> it appears as though being a fan of theirs i've inherited some of that where i can invent ways to mess up a gift that was handed to me. Like earlier, I was telling you about that shortcut I was going to take down in Arizona. Mm -hmm. uh, I should write a book about here is not how to select a shortcut in a lava plateau. <laughs> because that stuff that looks like grass that's only a foot and a half tall is really the foot and a half standing over and above the three foot boulders you're going to be hopping through. And that's not a shortcut. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. If someone wants to go to your course, what they use uh, promo code Elk Talk and they get a discount. But where do they find it? Yeah, just go to elk101.com. Click on the link for the online course, and like Randy said, you can use the the promo code Elk Talk, and it's going to save you twenty percent or twenty dollars. So, cool. you know, we look at 
all that we spend, and we talk about gear and, you know, a new rifle, a new bow, boots, backpack, elk calls, all these different things that you have to buy or own to, to go elk hunting, and they cost hundreds of hundreds of dollars. A tank of gas, I filled up my truck uh, yesterday before we went ice fishing. It was $80 to fill my truck up, yeah. and that's just, that'll last me a week or so, and then I'll have to do it again, and the online course, you know, for $79, it's a pretty minimal investment in what I feel is the most important weapon you take into the woods, and that's yourself. Yeah. Well, I'm I, I'm the beneficiary of of some of your teachings there. Uh, to me, they're it's just very helpful because I I don't know I, I consume as much elk content as I possibly can. I mean, <laughs> I, I've got so far to go to become even a slightly competent elk hunter. Uh, your course is, is huge uh, from that standpoint. So. Well, and likewise, you know, I'm, I don't have a lot of experience in late season hunting. My experience has been mostly, you know, early archery, prime archery into maybe a prime rifle hunting, you know, October time frame. But after that, I have no experience. And even rifle hunting in October, I'm far from from uh, efficient at it and that's why what's it been two or three years now i invited you to to write the modules on that post rut and late season hunting and i think your experience there coupled with my experience in the other areas um, does offer a, a complete a more complete uh, resource and then like you said i've asked you to to add a few more chapters here and there this year and i'll be adding a few more and you know we're constantly adding we added the module on cow elk hunting uh, on roosevelt hunting and there's more more coming so like you said yeah. we are not experts to the level of we think we know everything we've just been fortunate to live in a place where we're able to take advantage of it on a regular basis for a lot of years and we want to share that yeah so you want to want another example of why people should join the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation? Yes, I do. All right. If you live in New Mexico or hunt New Mexico, you up in the uh, it's a, the general area that I think of is like the Upper Rio Grande uh, Basin watershed, whatever you want to call it. There's an area that the the locals call it the Taos Plateau. I did not know that uh, till I hunted up there. Uh, uh, there's a, a bunch of elk that migrate from southern Colorado into northern New Mexico. And there's, I think the count is that 10,000 elk move back and forth to these areas. And there was this really critical piece, just under 1,200 acres, that was in multiple uh, parcels uh, that some landowners uh, wanted to see it conserved because they knew how much the elk used that. So they come to the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation puts this project together, goes to the BLM, Bureau of Land Management, and they find some money under the Land and Water Conservation Fund to buy this almost 1,200 acres. And now it's permanently conserved public land. That some people would say, well, 1,200 acres, that's not that much to hunt on. And it's not. 
But when you're talking about 10,000 elk and antelope and who knows what else, mule deer, critters that move back and forth through that corridor every year, if that 1,200 acres would have got subdivided, there would have been a lot of hunters back to our bigger pie, smaller pie. The pie would have just got smaller. But because of this work, the Elk Foundation, the BLM, these three landowner families, a ton of volunteers and and folks in New Mexico and Colorado, we don't have to worry about that. So that's an example of what your money goes for when you become a member of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Another example. (laughs) Yeah, another of, (laughs) I don't know how many of these projects are out there. It's, I don't know. Um, Last check, they they have a a score sheet, if you want to call it that, where them and their partners, projects RMEF has either been a part of or been the lead partner on, they've conserved more than 8 million acres of elk habitat through and when you say conserved it's either conservation easements or it's you know might be removing fences noxious weeds controlled burns whatever it is to bring that habitat back for elk and other wildlife but then they're i think they're right at about a million acres of new public access or public access that they've either acquired and turned over to the state or federal agencies or just all the access that was kind of there, but it's been improved by the fact of, okay, you know, you used to have to circle 33 miles on your mule to get around to this public. We acquired a corridor to get there, and now, you know, that corridor is public land. Now you can actually get to that 20,000 acres. So uh, they've created or improved almost another million acres of public access, which last I checked, Public access was getting more important to hunting, not less important. Yep, and it's a resource. I mean, elk are a resource, but that public land and accessible land is a resource as well. And the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation is, I think, on the leading edge of increasing those resources and making the pie bigger, both in terms of public land and numbers of elk. So So go to rmef.org, and if you aren't already a member, become a member. And if you are a member, think about upgrading. So, yep. How's that? That is awesome. And I, I'm not even going to throw in my pitch that I can't understand why an elk hunter wouldn't be a member of the Rocky Mountain. Elk. Well, I just did, I guess. But thirty-five dollar contribution as an elk hunter to know that you are actively a part of increasing those resources. That's a yeah. It's a small investment. Build a bigger pie. So maybe maybe that's a T-shirt. Build a bigger pie right. with an elk, elk standing in the middle of it, <laughs> an elk eating a piece of pie. He'll <laughs> <laughs> look fat like me if he keeps doing that. Uh, well, Corey, thanks for for taking the time. I know you have a daughter that is going to have a, a surgery on her ACL. Is that what you're telling me? Yep, three hours from now she'll be going in oh. and getting her ACL replaced and they're uh, well, pulling a chunk of hamstring out of her leg and wow. drilling a couple holes in her legs and putting a couple screws in there to hold the hamstring in place as her new ACL. So. And that just the sound of that hurts. I know that's a long recovery too. The doctor said minimum of six months before she'll be able to return to sports. And Oof. Wow. So. Well, good luck with that. Yeah. Thanks. 
And thanks yeah, for your time right. and for uh, finding those questions. I had I'd read them, but I hadn't gone through and categorized anything. But we always get good questions, so keep them coming. If you're listening, just go to elktalkpodcast.com, click on the contact link, and send us your comments or questions. Please do. Oh. Thanks for being here, folks. Yep. We'll catch you on the next one. Have a great day, Corey. You too.